Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Um, I guess most of you are here. If you weren't, things that John said, which was really helpful for the whole series to follow, and which I just want to repeat because I think it is worth having fresh in our minds. John talked about how even as Christians who've been Christians for a long time and we understand this idea of the gospel of grace, if we're not careful, when we try and follow Jesus, we can, if we're not careful, get trapped into a cycle of trying to do what he did, which only he could do, and we get trapped into this pattern of striving, failing, and guilt. Striving again, failing, and guilt. Striving, failing, guilt, because we're trying to do the things that only Jesus could do and has done for us. And it was a really important reminder that actually we have a gospel of grace. But... I don't know whether it leaves a question hanging with you, which is, why then have we done a series <laughs> called Following the King? Are we setting ourselves up for failure? Are we deliberately setting ourselves on a path where we're trying to do something and follow a king and therefore lead ourselves into a pattern of guilt? John really helpfully reminded us that that is not the gospel, yet we've got a series called Following the King. I want to suggest it's still a great thing to do. It would be disappointing, although I could understand it, if as Christians we thought maybe a sensible way to live would be, yes, to have some kind of moral code to try and do good things and not do bad things, do our best, but still remember that actually when we mess up, we've got the grace. That might be a tempting and maybe in our minds a sensible way to approach life. We can't do what Jesus did. We can do some good stuff, and when we don't quite do it, well, we've got God's grace. I think it's a bit disappointing if we were to go down that path. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like the right loving response to a God who has poured his love out for us. So, obviously, most of you know that I'm married to Lucy. Many of you here are married. On our wedding day, we gave vows to one another about the promises we wanted to keep towards each other um, for the rest of our lives together. It would have been very odd, and you would rightfully challenge me, if after we got married the next day, I continued to live my life just the same, just like I was a single guy. I could say, legally we're married, legally we're married, that is done, the certificate is there, we are married, I don't need to worry, yep, we are married... But if I just continue to live exactly how I was before, you think, well, there's not much evidence of real love there. It's not a great response to the love he's received from his wife that he would just carry on as though he were single. And it's a little bit like that, I think, with God. He has poured out his love for us. And yes, the standards he sets are unachievable, But wouldn't it be a bit disappointing if actually we didn't strive to live in a way that honoured him, that lifted up his name, that brought him delight, that made him happy, that made him pleased with us? Isn't that what we want to do? It's a loving response to the love that he gives us. And so that's why it's a brilliant thing 
to do a series called Following the King, because I think if we do it well, we will bring him glory, we'll bring him honour, we'll lift up his name, and that's what we want to do. I'd add one thing. It's incredibly exciting following Jesus. Even if all of that stuff has gone over your head a bit, or you don't even agree with it, I promise you, it is exciting following the king. It's exciting following Jesus. If you think Jesus is a little bit boring, a little bit dull, if you think there's not much excitement in being a Christian, you've completely missed the Jesus as he's presented in the Gospels. You've completely missed it. He is the most radical person you'll ever, ever study and look at. He is more exciting than anyone you could care to imagine. He does things which will radically challenge us, blow our mind away when we look at actually what he did against what we might expect him to have done. And Mark's Gospel is a great book for us to see that because Mark's Gospel is the shortest and it's very punchy. It's boom, boom, boom. He's only got 16 chapters, but he packs 20 miracles in that alone, plus loads of other stuff. Mark's Gospel is a real page-turner. You cannot get away from the incredible stuff that Jesus does. He's absolutely the opposite from boring. And so I want to encourage us, it's exciting to follow the king. One of the miracles that Mark has, for example, that none of the other Gospels have, Jesus goes, and we'll see this in more detail later on, he goes deep into pagan territory, well away from the comfort of his Jewish community in Galilee. He goes right to the places where the disciples didn't really want to go, and he healed a man that they thought was unclean. He does stuff that you don't expect him to do. He's exciting, and it is worth following him. Another miracle that he did in Mark's Gospel, which is not recorded elsewhere, he healed a man who was blind by spitting on his fingers, rubbing it in the guy's eyes, and he suddenly healed. You can imagine the disciples thinking, Jesus, what's going on? What are you doing? This is a bit... Oh, wow. Jesus is not conventional. He doesn't do the things we would expect him to do. We should follow him. It would be an incredibly exciting life to follow his example. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, will be quite familiar with. He, um, if you go to the first verse, thanks, Bill. He said this. So Paul was someone who followed Jesus wholeheartedly. And he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. And Paul was someone who did experience incredible power in his life. We've heard a bit from Emma already this morning about wanting to be Christians that see the miraculous because God has promised that. And we want to experience that. We want to be a part of it. We want him to work through us in power. And Paul was able to say, yes, I want to know the power of his resurrection. And I hope in all of us, we have something in our heart that goes, yeah, I want that too. I want to know the power of Jesus working through me. And the first thing then in our study of Mark chapter 1, we're going to look at now, Bill, next slide, is a story where Jesus is in an incredibly powerful um, experience. And I just want to read that to us and then we'll study it in a little bit. So Mark chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Now that story of his baptism is familiar to most of us, many of us. Mark does his best to to describe something which is an incredibly powerful event. 
he does his best. He talks about the heavens being torn open. I mean, what does that actually look like? Can you imagine looking up into the sky and seeing through it to heaven? He talks about the Holy Spirit we know who is so powerful beyond our imagination just descending like a gentle dove. What does that look like? What is it like to hear the very voice of God audibly speak out? You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. It's an incredibly powerful um, story, an encounter that Jesus had. And I don't know about you, I want to experience those things. I want to be in a place where I see the glory of God revealed in front of my eyes. I want to be in a place where I see the Holy Spirit come down. I want to be in a place where I hear God speak into situations and bring complete revelation and power and transformation. I want to see it. I hope you do too. Paul, we can agree with him, can't we, that he, as he said, we want to know the power of the resurrection in us and working through us. But does anyone know the second part of that verse that, Paul, that, that verse that Paul I read from a moment ago. So the first part, I want to know Christ, yet to know the power of his resurrection. Yeah. If you have the next slide, Bill. That's the full verse. I want to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I mean, that second part hits us a bit like a sledgehammer. So far, I hope I've given a real optimism today, a real sense of let's engage with the power of God. Let's seek to be used by him for his Holy Spirit to work through us, to follow Jesus to those places where his power is at work in us. And yet Paul says, something in knowing Christ is tied up also in the participation of his sufferings. Now, I don't want this talk to take a real nosedive <laughs> and go from this sort of optimism and excitement to something that's depressing. I don't want that. But I do want to address this idea that sometimes we follow him to places we don't actually want to go. So I want to go to the places where there's power. I want to go to the places where I feel him working through me. I want to go to the places where I can see healings. I want to go there. That's exciting. Paul did do those things, by the way. He's not scrambling around for some idea of how to know God, which he hasn't yet experienced. He experienced the power. But he recognises to fully know Jesus, to fully understand him, there is something in becoming like him, even in his sufferings. I don't want it to seem like it's a depressing talk, because I hope what will come through this is that actually, even in periods of difficulty, there is hope. There is hope. So I I really want this to be a message of hope. I do think it's going to be something which will apply for you if you are feeling right now miles away from the power stuff. Miles away. Maybe some of that stuff feels completely alien to you. This idea that the Holy Spirit's working through you. Maybe you felt that before in your past. Maybe you never have. Maybe it just feels so far from where you are right now. If that is you, then I really hope that today's message will speak to you, a message of hope for you and your situation today. Okay, Bill, next slide. Okay, so I read the first bit, Mark chapter 1, verses 9 to 
11 in the second paragraph up there. So Jesus has had his baptism. And then Mark continues, The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. One of the things that Mark does quite uniquely, he uses the word immediately an awful lot. Some translations have, um, what do they, some have at once. Sorry, my version uses the word immediately. There are some translations that use at once. So Mark says, immediately Jesus did this, immediately Jesus did that, immediately this happened, or at once this happened. He does it an awful lot. In chapter one alone, he uses the word immediately nine times. He is trying to get a real sense of what's going on here at pace. And we can see that word here in our second paragraph on the screen, the Spirit immediately drove him. The timing is interesting. It's come after an incredibly powerful and significant encounter that Jesus had, where he is endorsed by his Father, he receives the Spirit. Right at that moment, you would think, what a high. And yet immediately he's in a desert place. Immediately he is taken to a place where there is hardship and temptation. The timing's interesting. If you're like me, you'll have experienced that as well, where you can have times where you really feel the closeness of God and the power of him at work in your life. And then you can think, what was all that? I feel so far away from it now. If you're like that, you're in good company. (laughs) When I was um, about 18, just to give you an example of that in my own life, I, was, I had probably the most, sing- by far actually, the most significant, powerful spiritual experience of my life. And I was, I was with one other friend, and it was so powerful. It was like my hairs were standing on end for what felt like ages. And we shared this experience together. And strangely, I never spoke about it for years. And I don't know why. It wasn't a conscious thing. I didn't say anything about it. It was almost, I think, looking back, as if it was so holy a moment and so powerful that God almost sealed my lips from talking about it in a casual way. And years later, I I thought it would be encouraging for others, so I did eventually share that experience with other people. But that was when I was 18 or 19. In my 20s, I didn't feel anything close to that. I felt a little bit dry, a little bit, yeah, just, where's God in all of this? I remember when I was a teenager, and it was incredible. Sometimes we go through desert-like experiences and we can be in places where it's just a bit dry. And again, if that's where you are today, remember that Jesus went to that place too and we can take an awful lot of comfort from that. Who led him there? Who led Jesus to the wilderness? Yeah, the Holy Spirit did. That might surprise us. This wasn't Jesus trying to get to a place beyond the desert and that was the only route that he could go. The Holy Spirit led him to a place of testing and temptation. And that might shock us a little bit. Perhaps we think, okay, he was led into the wilderness because the Father wanted to do some work with him and then the devil pounced on the opportunity, took advantage and thought, he's vulnerable now, this is my moment. Well, that's not what it says. And actually, Matthew's account is even clearer on that. Matthew's account, he says, he, Jesus, was led up by the Spirit 
to be tempted by the devil. God led Jesus to a place that he would be tempted by the devil. And that might really shock us. But that's what it says. So I want to ask and spend a few minutes now just looking at what on earth would be the purpose in God allowing us to be tempted? Why on earth would God do that? Maybe you've never thought about him allowing it. Maybe you've thought it's just a consequence of being in a messed up world. God allowed his son to be tempted. He allowed him to be led to a place where the devil would tempt him. Why would God do it? kind of takes us back a little bit to a massive question which we probably would never answer adequately. Why was there an apple in the Garden of Eden that shouldn't have been eaten? Why was it there? Should God take some responsibility for what happened? He didn't shield Adam and Eve from that temptation. He hasn't shielded Jesus from temptation here. Should we be saying, God, you must take, you must bear some of the responsibility of this? Why would God allow us to be tempted in our lives today? And to answer this, I think we need to look at what temptation is from God's perspective and not just from our own. So from our perspective, I think we nearly always see temptation as an inevitable failure. We will inevitably fail when we're tempted. It's only going to end one way. We might struggle a bit, but we will fail And we can only see the negative and the agony and the suffering involved. And yet God allows it for a very real purpose. And I'd like to suggest the flip side to our view that temptation is always negative and a recipe for disaster. The flip side is it's an opportunity for success. It is an opportunity for victory that will glorify our Father in heaven. Through the trial, it builds up character in us. It builds up faith in us because we can see, oh yeah, God is faithful. God has helped me through. And that's why even through that process of temptation, it can stir up within us. A sense of, yeah, God is faithful and he is glorified through it. It's almost like he is proven. He doesn't need to be proved to himself. He's not kind of paranoid, am I, am I still working here? I need some people to prove that I'm able to get them through it, then I'll feel comfortable in myself again. He's not paranoid about it. He doesn't need to be proven to himself, but it's somehow encouraging for us. Yeah, he's helped me through this. He is faithful. i try and sum it up like this, what I've just said. We might fail at times with temptation, and that's where John's message last week of grace is so helpful and important. We might fail with it. But actually, ultimately, the temptations will reveal our strength in Christ and not our weakness of the flesh, because we can succeed with him. And when we do, we recognize he's done it, and it glorifies him, and it acknowledges him, and it takes away this idea of the weakness of the flesh, because now he's done it. He helped me through And he's qualified to do that. He can help us because he's the only one who's actually overcome it all. So he is able to say, here, I can help you through. He's the only one that we can actually turn to to help us overcome these things because he's done it. He has victory over it. It has no hold on him. 
Bill, if you could go to the next one. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 10. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. He will provide you with a way out. And when we have those victories over temptation, we can say, wow, it was God who provided me a way out. And we are strengthened in that. He is glorified in it. I believe that's why he allows temptation in our lives. There's something else which I found interesting about this idea of the process of temptation being an empowering thing, a strengthening thing. It's really interesting. In Luke's version of this same story, at the start of it, Luke's version says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Then he has the period of temptation. And Luke then says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. So he was led by the Spirit, but he returned in the power of the Spirit. There is something that happened even to Jesus that empowered him in that process. It was, I believe it was Jesus recognizing the faithfulness of his Father in the same way that when we go through suffering and we go through temptation and we come out because God has helped us, we can go, it's because of him. We are empowered, we are um, strengthened in our spirit again because we know it's only because of him that I've come through all this. He's the one who provided me with a way out. And so I'll just repeat what I said just a moment before. We may fail at times with temptation, and there is grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. But the temptations that we face ultimately will testify to his strength in us and not the weakness of our flesh. So I wonder if you're in a period of temptation now, I hope you have a a different mindset about this. And you think, actually, when I come through this victory, I'm going to testify that it's because God did it for me. He provided, with, he provided a way for me to overcome. Now, I will acknowledge that this talk has not really been very practical. It hasn't told you, for example, I haven't tried to give you ways to handle temptation. It hasn't really been what I've tried to do. I haven't said these are various techniques and useful tools that you can use when you're feeling tempted to go away that you know is not God's way. It hasn't really been what I've been trying to do. But if you are in that place, in your own time, I'd encourage you to look at what Jesus did in his own account here. Mark doesn't go into the detail. You'll need to look at Matthew and Luke for that. But in it, you'll see that Jesus quoted scripture. He meditated on scripture. He fasted. He he took it seriously. Jesus took it seriously. He, He fasted to help him be resolved to what he was about to endure. He prayed. He was with the Holy Spirit. So I would encourage you, take, take encouragement from him who defeated it and went through it on your behalf. Look to him as an example of how you can do the same. And when you do have victories over temptation, you can honour him by doing it and you'll be strengthened in the process. All of this, to me, makes the devil look really pathetic. Really pathetic. Because he's only doing what God allows him to do. 
And God says in the, in the previous... Actually, no, sorry, Bill, it was the right one, apologies. He'll only let you be tempted... Sorry, he won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. It's like the devil's on a chain. He's not allowed to do stuff that God doesn't allow him to do. It's so encouraging. He will give us a way out of any situation you find yourself in. He will be glorified in it, and you'll be strengthened. I'm sort of drawing to a close. Um, I haven't got too much more to say. Um, what I'd just like to do is just summarise, I guess. And that is to say that it's so good to follow the king. It is so good to follow him. He deserves it. There are some places where it's easy to say, yeah, I'm going to follow him there. There are some places where it's actually quite hard. Say, okay, I'm going to follow you even to that. But where God leads us is for our good. He is a good father to us. And sometimes he will allow us a desert experience where it's hard. Where we might feel, God, where are you in this? And if we're not careful, we can listen to those whispers. Actually, maybe I can do life a different way. God will give you a way out whenever that voice comes. Choose to follow him. He is honoured in it. He is honoured in it. He is glorified through your choice to follow him to resist temptation and you'll be strengthened you'll see his faithfulness to you as you do it then if the band wants he uh, maybe just come up I think we'll have a song in response the last thing I'm going to say is this if you're in a desert place at the moment spiritually dry feeling the temptation to do life differently than God's way if that's where you are Know this, that's not the permanent place where you are to live. This is not your life forever. God hasn't planned that you will always be dry and in a desert. Jesus was there for 40 days, very short compared to his public ministry. Living in a desert is not where God intends us to live. He came to bring life to the full. And also, one of the very last things Jesus says to us in the entire part of Scripture is this. He is coming again soon. He is coming again soon. We're going to have a song to respond, and uh, we might do. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.